the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. And as we do every day at this time, even with the time change, I hope it didn't mess up uh, our guest, we visit with Brandon J. Weikert. He is the publisher of The Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Theweikertreport.com is his website, his book, Winning Space, How America Remains a superpower. I hope the time change didn't mess with you, Brandon. I probably should have sent you an email. I apologize for well, that, but glad to have you. I should have sent you an email because not only did we fall back over the weekend, but I just got off of a plane about an hour ago in LA. <laughs> so, <now I'm... laughs> so, so when Bill called me, I was like, oh no, what's going on? So luckily I made it to the hotel and was speaking to our Glorious sailors and marines tomorrow. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. You're in Los Angeles today? Yeah, I'm not. Unload a few cargo ships while you're there for us, would you? (laughs) Yeah, well, we're going to talk about some of that as well. Oh, well, the time really must have messed you up because California changed. We didn't change. Yeah, all right. Yeah, and I had a layover in Houston. There you go. We went from East Coast to Central to, to West Coast, all while being back an hour. Well, when you come down to Phoenix for your statewide tour that I will give you, we'll go up northeastern Arizona. There's an Indian area, Indian reservation area where the clocks change as well. So, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll keep we'll keep you good and confused. That's that's <laughs> anyway. That aside, um, is China what's trying to? Do the confusing these days. I woke up to two Ah. stories. China triggers growing fears for U.S. military is one of them. Another, I can run them by you. Another, China builds missile targets shaped like the U.S. aircraft carrier and destroyers in the remote desert. And then, of course, your most recent piece over at American Greatness on U.S. intelligence. Where to begin, Brandon? (laughs) We can begin with me if you want. I would like that. Let's start with you. (laughs) So, uh, it, it appears that the U.S. intelligence agencies, uh, 18 agencies funded at the tune of $80 billion a year, uh, have spent the last five years chasing Russian ghosts at Mar-a-Lago when they should have been opening up Google Maps. There you go. Uh, because uh, commercial satellites over the summer, you and I talked about this story before, But in part of this larger ongoing narrative of U.S. intelligence failure coupled with, uh, you know, uh, uh, know, being spoiled with resources and power, uh, uh, U.S. intelligence missed uh, until after the fact that China has built three massive uh, nuclear missile silos in the desert. They've missed. Uh, the fact that China, while we were invested far longer in developing hypersonic glide technology, uh, we missed, the U.S. intelligence did, that China has a working version and, when married to their economies of scale, can mass-produce such weapons uh, that can strike anywhere in the United States in under half an hour 
traveling at more than 3,800 miles an hour. Uh, our air defense system, like the Maginot Line, is built to fight and defend against the last century's forms of attack. We do not have any significant defense against uh, the hypersonic technology, and this is this is public. And then also, as I mentioned in my piece, um, China is not hidden. They've been very open about the fact that they seek and have now obtained quantum supremacy in quantum computing, which is the next generation of, compute, of computational abilities that will do for this century what the silicon-based computers did in the 1960s and 70s and 80s. It's game-changing uh, technology, as you put it. it game-changing technology. Absolutely. No. And China has not one but two uh, versions of this technology, whereas we, Google, says they have one, but it says no longer the dominant one. It is the Chinese who now have officially acquired quantum supremacy. Maybe Google or IBM can get back for some period of time that supremacy, but it will take a period of time. And in that and in that time frame, China can then build out their own capabilities, attract Western investment and talent that would have gone to American firms for this research. They can get it over there now and build an ecosystem based on quantum technology. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, the Xijian 21 satellite crushing satellite, which is currently in geosynchronous orbit and can tailgate our larger sensitive satellite systems uh, in that orbit, things like our nuclear command communications and control systems, things like early missile warning satellites, things like our wideband global SATCOM uh, that the Army relies on for global rapid communications, things like the Navy's MUOS satellite constellations. This system that China has in orbit can tailgate those satellites and either push them out of orbit or physically crush them, rendering American forces on Earth, at sea, in, on land, in the air, in cyberspace, deaf, dumb, and blind. And so now you have the makings, my friend, of a truly catastrophic intelligence failure. Uh, the purpose of our intel services was to provide strategic warnings about potential surprises, the kind of surprises that occurred on Pearl Harbor. Uh, and our intelligence services have failed, categorically. And unless the Republicans in Congress do a real 9-11 commission-style uh, you know, commission uh, and, and start auditing the intelligence community's practices and personnel for determining how these failures have consistently occurred, uh, we're going to get hit soon. Brandon, uh, history is, is replete with the people who were not paid attention to, who saw things coming. And after each time, we kind of think, well, never again. Let's listen to those guys next time. Let's not underestimate threats. Let's, if anything, overestimate. At least it's in the name of in the defense of the American people. And, um, you know, I I thought after the 9-11 commission, we got this. Right. We understood this, at least in this in, in, in this community of living persons, right. people who were alive uh, during 9-11 and since, or at least who watched those 9-11 commission hearings. I really thought people got this. And yet I had to correct myself a little bit in that thinking because as we spoke last week or was it the week before? I don't remember. As we spoke in the last couple of weeks, Brandon – um, I think most American people think we're shielded from missile. We have a missile defense system that shields us. We, do, we, we just don't have any of that. 
I, I can uh, categorically tell your audience 100% that at present the United States has no viable or active defense against hypersonic technology, neither uh, in our forward operating bases around the world nor at, at the homeland level. All 50 states are at risk of a hypersonic attack. Uh, we, have, we have very limited ability to track those systems. Those systems move, they can move in any direction. Most of our air defense systems in the United States are pointed at the east-west or west-east line of attack that nuclear missiles mm -hmm. launched normally from Russia, maybe from China or Iran, traditionally take. They are not targeted toward tracking uh, vehicles along a north-south-south-north polar attack vector. Uh, uh, uh. And a hypersonic vehicle, my friend, can do all of the things I'm talking about. They can go, they're omnidirectional, they travel faster than the speed of sound, they, could, they or orbit the Earth, they, they go into the uh, low Earth orbit, and then they, they slam down over a target, delivering devastation within half an hour of being launched. And Whereas we can at least track a nuclear missile and have a little bit of warning, and maybe we can send off a couple of defense, you know, uh, uh, defense uh, missiles of our own, rudimentary ground-based ballistic missile defense systems. We have not even a rudimentary defensive or tracking capability for these hypersonic vehicles until it's too late. You know, I um, we're going to head to a break. I wonder if I could throw sure. this at you uh, for consideration on on when we come back. I remember some years ago when he was alive, I was talking with Charles Krauthammer about missile okay. defense issues. And I said, you know, the one thing you see here and there, you get a little story about an EMP threat, but you don't get a lot of stories about it. And goes, you know what? I need to write more about EMP threats. EMP still a concern, isn't it, Brandon? Yes. Can we talk and a little absolutely. bit more about that threat, too, when absolutely. we come back? There's a lot more to do with Brandon Weikert. Again, theweikertreport.com is his website. Everything he does, you can read there, and it costs you nothing, which is a nice, a nice, uh, a nice change of pace. Uh, the knowledge is more important uh, than the profit for Brandon, and I appreciate it. He's in the service of saving the West here. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. TheWeikertReport.com is his website, columnist for the Asia Times. You can read him at American Greatness. But you can get everything at his website, including including his uh, most important of books, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. And I want to come back to Winning Space 2 in a moment, too, because what happened to this thing called the Space Force? We'll talk about that with Brand. We'll come to that. We'll come to that. First, Brand, on the multivariant threats that, 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 that are poised against us, one we don't hear enough about, I don't think, um, you tell me, maybe we do, maybe it's not a threat anymore, is the issue of the electromagnetic pulse attack. Well, it's very much a threat, you know. And as you know, in my book, I have a couple of chapters dedicated to uh, that threat specifically uh, as it relates to the gallery of rogues, uh, North Korea and Iran, and some of the unconventional ways they're trying to weaponize space. Contrary to what many people believe, yes, 
North Korea and Iran do have a space program. Yes, that space program is sophisticated and getting more sophisticated every day. And that space program is a military endeavor, and it is heavily invested in these unconventional forms of attack, specifically the electromagnetic pulse weapon. Uh, in the case of North Korea, that technology, according to two Soviet generals who defected to the United States and testified before uh, Congress in 1994, that capability was offloaded from the Soviet Union to the North Koreans in the 80s, uh, weaponized EMP, and for 30 years the North Koreans have perfected that technology. They have, in the last few years, placed uh, satellite, a series of satellites into orbit. The U.S. intelligence wrote those systems off as being derelict, non-functional, failed communication satellite uh, tests. In fact, I believe, because one of them in particular is actually in orbit still, uh, following that aforementioned north-south trajectory, I actually think it might actually be an EMP device. The fact that uh, its name has something to do with light in the North Korean language might be a euphemism. Uh, Iran also has developed, thanks to their nuclear weapons program, uh, which Biden is now helping to put the accelerator on, uh, they've also spun off and created an EMP device. Uh, they launched in the last two years. I've written, I think, three articles in the last two years at uh, American Greatness, as well as the chapter in my book about this. Uh, they've launched, uh, I believe, EMP devices, possibly put them in orbit. The satellite is called OVID, which means light bringer or light in Farsi, uh, I believe, if memory serves. Uh, and uh, so I think that this threat is very serious, and if detonated above the continental United States, uh, that EMP blast could knock out every electrical device across the country, as well as Canada and Mexico, uh, and send us back to the 1800s. And it would take anywhere from, on a, a good estimate is two years to repair the electrical grid, and as much as five to ten years. And in that time, chaos, mania, and sheer you know apocalyptic things would uh, would dominate the country. Uh, so. Uh, that's the EMP threat, and it's very real. And China and Russia have these capabilities. They've had them for years. Uh, and when you take China's hypersonic vehicle uh, and you put an EMP device there, now you're really talking about a nightmare scenario because then China could conceivably knock us out within half an hour without us, even if we wanted to, being able to return fire in any significant capacity. Most of our systems are not properly hardened against an EMP attack. Brandon, uh, that does get us, though, to the other thing I floated at the beginning of this um, yeah. this segment, doesn't it? Uh, whatever became, became of this wonderfully new, innovative, and dramatically important Space Force? Um, it has been captured by um, the permanent bureaucracy, uh, I say this as somebody who was involved at the early stages with the kind of theoretical underpinnings of Space Force. This is why I wrote the book. Um, I was cut out very early on, as were some other space power theorists who actually understood what space represented. We were replaced by people who want to see Space Force be a permanent uh, appendage to the Air Force do not really want to see the kind of resources that I think need to be given to a real Space Force. 
Uh, they want it to be subsumed by the deep state, by the permanent bureaucracy, the permanent administrative state, which doesn't want to rock the proverbial boat. Uh, and so what you have today is Space Force has become a great big diversity program. Uh, I mentioned this in my American Greatness article from this last week, in which I, I it's sort of an offhanded comment that I plan on expanding on more. And in the updated version of my book that's coming out soon, I do expand on this. But clearly, um, the people that were brought in to run and create Space Force at the bureaucratic level do not have the vision and they do not have the will to push and advocate for Space Force becoming a truly dominant space power. Uh, they want it to be just a mindless bureaucracy. Everybody knows, looking at Space Force, the first thing you think of are all these ads about how diverse their workforce is. Very few people think Star Trek or Star Wars when they see Space Force. They see another government agency dedicated to a diverse background, which is great, great. But in terms of a warfighting capability, they're not doing much. And this is supported, by the way, by a poll that was conducted by the military of senior people involved with the acquisition of space technology for military use. They asked people at the Pentagon who do this for a living, has Space Force bettered the acquisitions process for space-related technology in the military? This is one of the reasons why we created the Space Force, by the way. And ultimately, now the, the official poll says it's a mixed result, half said yes, half said no. From what I've heard is actually the real results were catastrophically no, that this has not bettered the acquisitions process. In some cases, it's complicated it by adding another layer of bureaucracy. And so I talked to these Space Force people at my talks, and they, they get on me about how we're having great conversations with Congress. I always say uh, talking is useless when it's not paired up with action. And thus far, all of the meetings with Congress in the world has not led to a better defense of the United States in space. And that's the problem. Brandon, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about uh, these Chinese designs, or I should really say the China, Chinese government's designs on the United States uh, when we come back on the other side of this. And get your sense of what it is you think is going on at um, at the Joint Chiefs of Staff, I'm reading an article <laughs> at the Hill. Okay, yeah, all right, you have an idea. I'm reading at the uh, over at the Hill quotes from outgoing Joint Chiefs Staff Vice Chairman, even Mark Milley, who is the chairman, just talking about China as being very close. And yes, we have to do something. It seems there's no matter of urgency, exigency. I wonder if there's even a matter of understanding what's going on. Right. Would you address that when we come back? Happily. Thank you, Brandon. I'm Seth Leaps, and he's Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. He is the publisher of the Weikert Report. Brandon, before I ask you about the measurements of the minds of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a quick question <laughs> from a call. A quick question from a listener came through on email to ask Brandon. By the way, <laughs> your name gotten a lot more popular lately. 
<laughs> you noticed a little, <laughs> a little. <laughs> I'm a big fan of it. Okay. People are calling for me. <laughs> People are calling. For... I, I I just don't want it to confuse your dog. All right, <laughs> all right. Here's the question on e- uh, listener emails: Does the USA have an EMP weapon that could be a deterrent against North Korea or China? We worry about these bad actors, but can we talk about any USA anti EMP capabilities? Um, we certainly have since the. 60s, the Starfish Prime Test, 62, uh, we certainly have the capability uh, and the arsenal. Uh, we will never use it, though. I can guarantee you that. Uh, we will never use it in a timely fashion. That is a real first-strike weapon. Um, and um, uh, whoever uses it first will probably win the overall engagement. Okay. Um you know, it, that's that's a very tricky proposition to say we're going to try deterrence, uh, mutual assured destruction with EMP. That's one of those weapons uh, that really is only a first strike weapon. There's really no, there's no, there's no responding to that because once that weapon goes off, 99.9% of your electronics are fried. Now it's true the military has hardened some of their systems against EMP but nowhere near enough to have a reliable strike back or, or counter-strike capability. And I don't think we should want to get into that Cold War style of thinking. This is where I thought Ronald Reagan was a true visionary. We talked about this before, Seth. Reagan with Star Wars, the Strategic Defense Initiative, he was tired of what he thought, and I think he's right, was the immorality of mutual assured destruction. He wanted mutual assured survival where we had a defensive system that was so next level, so innovative, that the Soviets could not even threaten us, even with all of their nuclear weapons arsenal combined. And that was the basis of the Strategic Defense Initiative. And so what I recommend, particularly as it relates to hypersonics, you could say also with with, uh, EMP, although I don't think EMP is going to be used uh, unless it's a rogue state. I don't think China will do that. Um, But certainly a hypersonic strike. Um, what I would recommend doing is we need to double down and expand on Space Force's ability to defend us in orbit. And that's probably going to be including we need to fire everybody running Space Force, gut that program, even though it's just getting started, because they've got the wrong personnel. And as you know, Seth, personnel is policy. Yep. They've got to get some real head bashers in there. They've got to get some real scrappy underdog, you know, uh, the uh, Billy Mitchell types. And they're there. Uh, they're just not promoted by the bureaucracy. We've got to get some real gnarly colonel, uh, you know, who's been passed over a few times, who's ready to go kick some butt, uh, who understands uh, the strategic importance of space as the high ground. Uh, we don't have that risk. And now that General uh, heightens. Uh, the Air Force number two Joint Chief of Staff, uh, one of the loudest, best proponents for space power, he's retiring. Yeah. And as the Washington Post reported, that leaves a, quote, significant gap in America's space capabilities at the sort of doctrinal level, because there's no greater advocate, and even he could have been more of an advocate, but there's no greater advocate at that level in the DOD once he goes uh, and uh, asks for space power. That's a problem. The only way we're going to protect the homeland is by taking and holding space. And we're losing space right now. 
we're losing it. Brandon, you mentioned a phrase we haven't heard in a long time. I used, I, I, I've read a lot about it over the years, uh, and certainly when it was more popular, probably volumes. I've read volumes on it. Um, and that's the issue of mutually assured destruction. Um, yeah. Does does that work in the modern world? And th- no. right anymore, it, it it worked with a. I think it worked in a sense with a Soviet Union mindset. I don't know if the enemies poised against us. It works that well as a concept anymore. Can you address that when we come back on the other side of this break, Absolutely. and then we'll get to the to the other wonderful philosophers at the uh, at the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest columnist at the Asia Times, American Greatness, author of uh, really one of the most important books uh, of last year and going forward, which is, uh, of course, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Brandon, just just a moment or two, if you don't mind, on mutually assured destruction, destruction and the threats we face today as opposed to those we face during what jfk called the long twilight struggle it requires a different kind of enemy doesn't it yes um and also the technology is fundamentally different today um uh basically the whole mutual assured destruction rested on um the balance of terror basically the soviets at least in theory were as afraid of being nuked as we were and so while things would get testy between us, ultimately there were sort of these built-in uh, stop gaps that would prevent us from going over the ledge. Of course, as anybody who knows the real history of the Cold War understands, there were more than one occasion, not just the Cuban Missile Crisis, where the two sides almost did very closely go to nuclear warfare with each other. Uh, and uh, actually, in many instances, the Soviet Union were developing... Uh, anti-satellite weapons and other capabilities that today we would recognize as being sort of asymmetrical capabilities with the intention of eventually being able to sort of undermine and outmaneuver that uh, very tenuous balance of terror uh, and get a surprise or get a beat on the Americans when we least expect it. Thankfully, the Soviet Union collapsed. Uh, and their technology base, because of that, the inefficiency of their political and economic system, they couldn't keep up. But China today can keep up. China has shown repeatedly that it is capable of fielding technologies that are at least as good as anything that we can do in specific areas, like cyber, like cyberspace, like in the strategic arena of space. Uh, they have fielded. Uh, a very robust and growing anti-area access denial capability that is primed at preventing U.S. aircraft carriers from getting close enough to Chinese shores to be able to threaten China. Um, They have developed in China advanced submarine detection capabilities. In any conflict with with China, it is believed, by myself included, um, that it would not be the aircraft carrier that would be the tip of our spear. It would be submarines. Mm. And we, A, don't have enough of them. We have a lot of supply chain issues when it comes to building subs and any kind of wartime footing. And, oh, by the way, 
China now has capabilities in space as well as other capabilities to track the movement of our submarines when they are in the South and East China Sea or in the Taiwan Strait. Um, furthermore, uh, the, the technological abilities that they've developed with the aforementioned hypersonic uh, vehicles give China an advantage that upsets any potential balance that one would need to have credible deterrence or mutual assured destruction. So there is no balance there in those key areas, and therefore, MAD doesn't work. It doesn't hold water anymore. You're living in a different era, and therefore, the strategies of the Cold War, in my opinion, do not apply anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that, too. I just, the, the notion that you know, we are deterring anyone because of the terrible swift sword they think we will deploy or right. unleash is a myth. Right. It's just an it's absolute myth. myth at this point. Especially when China is a completely different culture. Exactly. And even, exactly. even Russia, even Russia, while it is still distinct from Western civilization, it's still a Western adjacent. Yeah, it has power. that sensibility. It does. Right. Yes. No such sensibility exists in China. And that's or not North Korea, or Iran, right. or, you know, right. God right. forbid, any of the other being, Middle Eastern that's states. That's not me right. being a, a supremacist. I'm just acknowledging a fact that the reference points in China, culturally and historically, are fundamentally different yeah. than what they are in the United States. Oh, you bet. And their tolerance for their willingness to lose life yeah. in a battlefield is yeah. a tolerance, it's a threshold. Just look at their system. Exactly. I mean, it's very exactly. bloody. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So we get statements from Vice Chairman John Hyten last week saying if we yeah. don't do something to change it, the China military capability is going to stun us. Well, what's yep. he been doing for two years? Why is this the first time I'm seeing his name? Well, General Hyten has been, um, shall we say, handcuffed. OK. Uh, General Hyten is one of the few good ones. It is a sin that he was not actually given more power. Good. Um, this, is, this is not just the Biden failing. Remember, two years ago, Trump prevented General Hyten from announcing, uh, doing, rather doing an, uh, a live demonstration of a covert American space weapon that was meant to demonstrate to the Russians and Chinese who have been you know, wantonly violating uh, space trees by testing these dual-use weapons in orbit, General Hyten wanted to demonstrate and build off publicly uh, a similar capability for the United States Space Force, and President Trump told him to back off. President Biden won't let him do it either. This is one of the reasons I think he's retired. He's been handcuffed. Frankly, General Hyten should run for office. Uh, he's, been, he's been handcuffed badly. And, uh, um, you know, he's one of the few good ones. Uh, the Pentagon doesn't get it. They don't want to get it. Is it possible? Is it possible the handcuffer is Mark Milley? Uh, he's one of them. Okay. But actually, Milley's, Milley's kind of a go-along, get-along guy. Milley's really not the problem here. Milley's a, kind of a, a fool. Um, but, but, but Milley's not the real issue here. If Milley senses political advantage to actually get tougher, He'll go with that win. Okay. This is why he ultimately went marching with Trump to the cathedral, uh -huh. you know, and then of course he backed away. Uh -huh. He's an opportunist. Okay. okay, he's a he's a weakling. The 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 real problem is the bureaucracy, and really, very few people 
in Washington, no matter what they say in public, really want to do the tough thing of competing with China. And that's not ignoring China, as we've done. And that's also, by the way, not doing what some of our friends on the right want to do, which is start a war with China. Right. The thing we have to do, I think, is what David Goldman and Michael Anton have been saying. Do what Reagan did. Throw all of our money into building out high-tech innovation here so that we leapfrog the Chinese and technology in such a big way that, like the Soviets, they actually are afraid to challenge us. And they do start kind of standing down because they know that technologically we are so much more ahead of them. They can't possibly keep up. And we're not there yet. Any, We're not there. We haven't been there for a while. That was how Reagan beat the Soviets. It wasn't just by outspending them. That's part of the equation. It was what we were spending the money on. We leapfrogged them in next generation industrial technology. And that technology now is old. And we haven't invested big enough. And we haven't invested well enough in developing the next phase of you know, new age infrastructure. All those investments are being done by the Chinese in China to enhance their comprehensive national power at our expense. Well, we, um, we spend money on what we think is important. We are uh, slating $3 billion for tree equity right now, Brandon. <laughs> and um, if China has its way, uh, there won't be any trees to argue about equity. Brandon Weikert, bless you, sir, and thank you for everything. Enjoy the West Coast for a little bit. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you don't have your tickets for our November 16th event, they are almost out. Go to 960thepatriot.com. For such tickets, what is the event? The best event I could come up with. Dennis Prager, Larry Elder, Charlie Kirk speaking on the topic of America for which it stands over at the Orpheum Theater. 960thepatriot.com to get those tickets. November 16th. They'll be there. I'll be there. Love to see you there. Demetrius, you have been very patient and I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Are you still there, Demetrius? Going once, going twice. Okay, call me back. I would love to hear you. I saw the topic. Uh, uh, the topic was veterans, and uh, I can never get enough enough of that topic. It is it is interesting to me today when when we get people like Mike who called earlier to talk about veterans, almost like any other issue, almost un, excuse me, almost unlike every other issue, almost unlike every other issue. And we had this, just had to go to guests. When someone calls in about talking about the veterans, we get, don't we, Bill? We get just a flood of calls talking about the veterans right after that. doesn't happen with any other topic we deal with um, that way. And um, that is a great testimony and testament to the things that matter most to this audience, which are the things that matter, that should matter most to all audiences. Um, that's a good point that Mike um, was or, or, yeah, I think it was Mike who called earlier talking about the veterans saying, you know, you hear it's one percent of the American people, less than one percent, two percent, three percent. You hear these various numbers um, of of, of the, the percentage of people that voluntarily sign up to serve this country or defend this country. And it's an astonishingly low number. And it 
it, it's instructive what we prime young brains for in this country, isn't it? It's instructive what this culture tells young people what they should be focused on, what is important. And it starts at an early age. You see what the culture is priming the young brains for today. It's about, it's, it's about racial identity. It's about racialism. And it's about gender identity and gender issues. That's what's being pushed now. When it's not those things, when it's not those things, it's now this oddly Frankensteinian push and celebration and cheering to vaccinate children against any any scientific evidence it's a good idea and against all moral sensibility. It's a weird thing as if the culture has gone off the rails in what it should encourage children for, to, and about. Think about what this culture would look like if the Sesame Streets and the CBSs of this world and the journalists of this world spent a hundredth of their time on the stuff I regret they spend their time on in promoting public service in defense of the greatest nation that ever existed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.